Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Between You and I podcast. This is episode 27. I'm Carrie Ockrey, and this is Ryan Lane, my cohort. Hello, hello. <laughs> Today, we have um, a great conversation. I, I think we are branching into um, life and health and um, who are you conversations, and I'm really excited about that. Um, because sharing stories and experiences, I think, just is really important. So today we have on the podcast, Melissa Stussy, and I met her via Instagram. Um, I like the work that she does. Um, she is writing a book around her memoir of her recovery story and um, process and life. There's going to be a lot of things in it that I think are super valuable um, to share I don't, I just don't think you can get enough of those stories because they're all kind of different. Anyways, we have this amazing long conversation and it's, um, it may be triggering for some folks. Um, we talk about trauma, we talk about addiction, we talk about, um, some life experiences. So, um, uh, buyer beware. Um, if you love the conversation, please subscribe and we would love to have you here, uh, enjoying doing the podcasting. So hope you enjoy. Well, <laughs> welcome everybody to the Between You and I podcast. My name's Carrie Ockrey and my cohort is Ryan Lane. Hello. Um, this is episode 27. And Ryan, I just have to laugh. Somebody said like, you never say your name. So I am saying our names now. That's good. I never thought <laughs> about that. That's what I'm doing that. now. Yeah. I have neither. Um, and today I'm really excited. Um, we have Melissa Stussy on and I found Melissa through Instagram. Um, and I like Instagram because there's, I just feel like there's a lot of people who are doing cool things there. Um, as opposed to Facebook, which is just a huger swath of everybody. Right. And in Instagram, you can kind of see what people are up to in, in, especially in the bio links. And so, Melissa um, has a lot we're going to talk about today, but what initially um, attracted me, because I really wanted to talk to you about sobriety, addiction, things like that. And there's obviously going to be a lot of stuff to, you'll share, right? Or unpack. Yeah. Um, and the thing, the first couple of things I really was, that you write about too, that stuck out for me were like staying sober in 2020, right? <laughs> Mm -hmm. and and triggers because um i find that really fascinating as well so welcome to the podcast thank you for having me so honored to be here it'll be really fun um hey so tell me so, some of your background since we're you know we're just meeting but mm -hmm. do you want to give me some background on your story but also any anything else mm -hmm. anything mm -hmm. everything okay first of all i'm dying to tell you the how i met you because okay. Um, so I believe it was 1994. I was at a show in Olympia and I believe it was a college and I saw you perform. Oh and yeah. I was spellbound. Like you, I, I'm, I'm a fangirl. So that's so awesome. Yes. And so, um, I had your, uh, the red goodness CD I had bought home. There were other mu music of yours that I listened to and I listened for years. And so some background on that is we had a mutual friend on Facebook and I won't give away his name for anonymity purposes, but he's someone that I'd met in the program in Seattle. 
Mm-hmm. And I saw you comment on something of his and I'm like, Carrie Ockery, <laughs> you know, I hadn't heard that name in a while, but I listen uh-huh. to you all the time. And so I friended you and just told you that I was a huge fan and wondered if you were playing any shows and that I lived in Washington at the time. Uh-huh. And so this was probably, gosh, six or seven years ago. And then now I'm in Minnesota and, and I then I read in one of your bios that you lived in. <laughs> totally. Minneapolis. Uh-huh. So we have that common ground. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I grew up in Kent, Washington, yeah. uh, home of Macklemore, if anyone yeah. didn't know. Right on. Uh, <laughs> mix a lot. I have a home near Auburn where I lived. So um, Kent, Auburn, Federway, South Seattle. I grew up. Um, most of my story, the premise is, I tell it this way, that I, my mom got pregnant from a, a guy and he didn't want a baby. He gave her money for an abortion. She went to the abortion clinic and didn't follow through, luckily. And he lay, he was incarcerated. So he was sent to prison during her pregnancy for a drug, for a drug charge. And she did it alone. And... I've, I've recently, so she's long since passed. She's passed about 13 years ago, Mm -hmm. but I have an aunt that's still alive. So in the process of writing a memoir, I've been asking so many questions, like who was with my mom, you know, in the birthing room. And so my, my aunt was a critical player in my mom keeping me. So just tumultuous upbringing, lots of different boyfriends, abuse, drugs and alcohol in the home, low income apartment to low income apartment. I changed schools a lot. Just very unpredictable. Yeah. And so the hope in my story, so I went through all of that, um, is I had some grandparents who were alcoholic, but safe and warm to me and loved me. And so I had a reprieve from my home life, you know, on the weekends or every once in a while I was able to go stay with them. And the book I'm writing is called Let Your Privates Breathe. And what that's about (laughs) is my grandma used to say, she'd put me in one of my grandpa's big white Fruit of the Loom t-shirts that went down past my knees because he was a bigger guy. And she'd say, don't wear your underwear to bed. Let your privates breathe. (laughs) And she'd give me some water next to my bed and the ice was clinking and she'd tuck me in and I was in this warm, safe, quiet home. They were sleeping in the next room over and I felt loved and nurtured and safe. And so I call the memoir, Let Your Privates Breathe, because it's not just not wearing your underwear to bed, but it's so much more I've learned in just airing out those parts of ourselves that we're too scared to share with others because of shame. You know, shame. I felt so shameful of who I was, where I came from. I thought people could see how dirty I was, how I grew up, how embarrassed I was of my parents and, um, you know, having to call the police as a young girl because I'm thinking, you know, Mm -hmm. this boyfriend's going to kill my mom and I need to get out of here. So really traumatic events that I that I witnessed and struggled through. And really, you know, so let's say I I just celebrated 23 years of sobriety on Tuesday. Last Tuesday. Congratulations. Thank you. And even though I was sober, I wasn't okay. So I, um, I tried to be okay. And I tried to have, you know, the right vehicle and the right home and the right clothes. But I was like a persona. Mm-hmm. And 
it wasn't until, so we moved to Minnesota in 2017. I just needed to get away and kind of reinvent myself. Yeah. And it was really healing. And um, I'll just tell you a quick story. I just um, ended up, I was, um, we got over there and we wanted to be closer to my husband's family. And I couldn't connect to my in-laws. I just, I didn't know I had a problem with personal relationships because I was pretty closed off. I wasn't in many. Mm -hmm. And when they wanted to love me and let me in and be, you know, come into our family, Christmas, Thanksgiving, I had this huge wall up of anxiety and I, I wanted them to push them away. Mm -hmm. And so, um, long story short, I just started looking at me. I'm like, I'm in recovery. I have got a great marriage. I've got these two kids. I've been sober so long. I've been on medication. I've tried therapy. I've done everything. What is wrong with me? I'm not okay. And I ended up, you know, I'd exercise, I eat right. I change my diet, everything, everything, medication, supplements, doctor, everything. And I had never heard the word trauma. I had, oh, yeah. I'd never heard, you know, in all my therapy, I talked about it. You know, I've heard people do all kinds of therapy modalities, but the word trauma was never brought up. And so I started, I went to the gym, I exercised a lot. I was, I was bored in Minnesota. I didn't know what to do. Um, and I found the book, Adult Children of Alcoholics. Mm-hmm. And I just sat and read and read and bawled and cried oh, yeah. and they said the you know they said all the things that I'd been through, and I had just never recognized there were actual traits of children who grew up in alcoholic and drug addicted homes, and we carry these traits that make us afraid of authority figures, uh, that make our emotions out of whack, make us feel insecure. We have a critical inner parent in our brain telling us we're not good enough and that we should do better. Um, and I just, I cried. And then I look it up and I'm like, God, is there a meeting near me? And I'm in this super small town in Minnesota at this time. Mm-hmm. And there, there happened to be one right down the street and it was starting on Thursday. And I showed up and I was like, you know, willing to learn, willing, surrender. Like I've tried everything. This is my last hope. I feel like this is the root of why I drank, why I used drugs, why I was sexually active at 12. Like I mm-hmm. had done everything and, um, and they listened and I heard similar stories. They told, you know, stories of, of abuse they witnessed and feeling not good enough and not being loved and nurtured by their, by their provider, their, you know, their care, mm-hmm. the person that was supposed to love them and protect them and nurture them. They abused them. And that, causes a huge problem in children. So I don't know if you guys have heard about the adverse childhood experiences. So they call them the ACEs. Oh, yes, I have. Yes, I have. Okay. So just a couple years ago, so now I work with students that have trauma and emotional disorders. Mm -hmm. And I went to a workshop for work. And the, it's about trauma and I don't compare it to myself. I'm just wanting to learn to help better help my kids. Mm-hmm. And they talk about the ACEs and there's a quiz yeah. and I scored a 10 out of 10, which means, you know, I had a father in prison. I was sexually abused, all the things that really, if you score a three out of 10, you're supposed to really struggle in life. Mm. I'm like, how am I here? You know, <laughs> I, I feel like, you know, 
in a lot of ways, I'm a, I'm a miracle that I've stayed sober this long. Yeah. And that I want to share my voice. And that's part of writing that book for the last decade. I've been working on this book. Um, but it was really through Elephant Journal. I had writing and writing and writing, but I never want the people I work with to know who I was. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I'm teaching people's children. They're not going to want a recovering alcoholic. So I have to be a secret all the time. Mm-hmm. And I talked to a friend. I said, I, I really want to share my writing, but I'm scared of what people will think. What will my kids friends, moms think, you know, I'm thinking of the soccer moms and thinking of people I don't even know. I'm so worried that they're holding me back from sharing my writing and my truth and my voice and all the things I know I need to share. This was just last summer. And she says, you can't let those people hold you back. You know, you have to just push through. And so I shared an article on elephant journal that I'd written about two years prior. And it was called grateful to be a former meth addict. Mm-hmm. because a lot of my story involves meth and people wouldn't know that about me now, you know, in, in my work life in the, in the neighborhood, people wouldn't go, she's, she's a meth addict, you know? <laughs> so it was a lot. I mean, I put myself out there and I shared that article. It got published. I sat in my bed. <laughs> I shared it on Facebook. I'm like, I'm going for it. And message after message just rolled oh, yeah. in of, you know, you're so strong. You're so brave. Thank you for sharing. I would have never known, you know, even my in-laws, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, they're from a small town. They're not going to understand this, but nothing but love and support. And I just, I just bawled. Like I just, it was like coming out of a metaphorical closet. Like I just shed that facade Hmm. of who I wanted people to think I was. And I came clean and I just said, here I am. This is what I've been through. This is who I am now. And, and now, so since then, that was July 30th of this year, I've published over 70 articles on Elephant Journal. Wow. And I'm yeah. a writing machine. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I, it's so therapeutic. And I just, yeah. my fingers just go and I just send those babies out. And you're right. There are a lot about triggers emotional sobriety, adult children of alcoholics, sobriety, um, relationship stuff. Gosh, just you name it. So much stuff. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, now that you share your story um, with us too, there's, I mean, there's just so much more, you know, mm-hmm. it's, mm-hmm. it's um, one, my hat's off to you for being a teacher for, um, uh, I don't know if it's TLC where you are, if it's a TLC room or kids. Um, yeah. And so right now I used to be a teacher in Washington, but right now I, the job I'm doing is a para and I'm a para yeah. for the uh, EBD. So it's emotional behavior disorders. Okay. Well, and my hat's off to that. I did a short stint of emergency para work in Tacoma. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times the work that is needed is in self-contained autism or a nest or Uh, TLC or what you're talking about. And so Mm -hmm. I did a short stint, um, and this is elementary school level, Mm -hmm. uh, working at this elementary school that had the, um, in a TLC room. And uh, I want, it almost broke me. Like Mm -hmm. I just couldn't, um, they were, they were like, hey, we're going to have a job open. Would you want to work here? And, you know, I usually don't say no to much. I definitely don't say can't 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much ever. You know what I mean? But in that room, I was like, I don't think I'll emotionally, cause I'm pretty empathic. So mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't think I'll emotionally be able to survive this or hand ha- survives a strong word, but handle mm-hmm. it. Um, because it was so, um, it was a lot and sad and all sorts. And we're talking five-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Um, and the I mean, other not, thing and are, not just one five-year-old, I mean, it's multiple oh. with challenges. So that, mm-hmm. that is hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're right. With a whole array of ex- of life experiences, traumatic life experiences, mm-hmm. they're having, and and it's ki- it's kids. So as an adult who's never worked with kids, like for folks who don't work with kids, you might be like, oh, kids, you know, right? Like, or you have an idea of how you interact with a kid, um, or how a kid is back to you, or you don't, right? Mm-hmm. And so elementary school, you think, oh, you're funny, you're silly, but if you add kids who are affected by trauma it's it's like there's so much more there's the triggers there's the things that then they do and the thing I I found hard was like as a parent you're not really given any information any background you're definitely not educated in it so you can feel pretty helpless Mm -hmm. and slightly scared Mm -hmm. you know so I mean in that class I mean I I've I've seen five-year-olds be sweet and kind and then turn around and call you everything an adult and throw chairs at you, spit at you, bite you, you know, like oh, yeah. just all like that. Yeah. Um, or kids you see at six that are growing up in real rough things and they are already like wearing gold chains and punching their buddy on the playground. And, and it just, mm-hmm. would, oh, it would just tear my heart out because elementary mm-hmm. school to me also is like, there's still time. Yeah. There's still mm-hmm. time. Maybe one word I say to you affects you the rest of your life. Like I get really too emotionally attached to that. And so when they were asked me if I wanted to work there, I was like, I, I can't. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I need to get educated about this and that. Well, I need something to help me. Um, otherwise, I'm going to have to spend time in the woods every day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like yeah. some way to rejuvenate. So I really commend you. And Thank you. Yeah, they're just in survival mode. They're just, they think everyone's out to get them. But I'll tell you the benefit, like it's my second year now, is we build a trust and a rapport and, you know, they'll give me hugs. And, but if someone different and new comes in, it's, they have to, you know, start over. So it's been really rewarding. And is it true too with kids? Like when you experience trauma at that young age, like it changes your brain, like it shapes your brain. And so there's more specialized work mm-hmm. that is really needed in order to provide, you know, head them yeah. in a, yeah. for themselves, healthy direction. Yeah. I, I and even it's crazy through the trainings that I've taken for my job, which is, you know, I, I think this is meant to be because I'm learning so much about my own childhood is, you know, there's that pre prefrontal cortex and you make all your decisions. So I'm like, gosh, I'm impulsive. I spend yeah. a lot of money. You know, I do all yeah. of these things and I don't think twice about it. And that part of your brain, you know, it's not the back part of your brain that makes logical decisions. I run off this a lot. Mm -hmm. And when I'm triggered, what I learned is you can stop. This is what you would teach a child. Stop. Repeat to yourself. You know, I am safe. Breathe. I am calm. And I've had to just do that with myself as an adult. And, the you know, the same skills I would teach a student. And it has helped me so much. It's been such... I just, I never learned those social emotional skills as a child, obviously. Um, 
through junior high and high school, you know, you just go to boys and smoking and sex and drugs and Mm -hmm. what's going to fill this hole. Yeah. And maybe, you know, no one really sat down and said, you are a a child. It is okay. You're going to be safe. Let me help you. You know? Yeah. I think now it's, it's more prevalent that we would intervene in in my life someone had my life at school, I think I would notice and I would be able to intervene in some way. But back then, I just felt like I kind of just got pushed through. I graduated, Mm -hmm. but I didn't learn anything. You know, I was smoking weed during lunch and doing all the, you know, drunk at school and doing all the things that weren't getting me, you know, very far. But somehow I was pushed through. And Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And I don't think people um, realize, um, I mean, if it's happening to them too, like the, the later effects of long-term enduring, yeah. you know, on any mm-hmm. level, like it can play out, I think, in a lot of different ways. But if at a young age, the options you have that are probably pretty immediately in front of you, right, like things immediately happening, you're reacting and enduring, you're like you said, survival mode. Yeah, and you're hold, holding on. Yeah, mm-hmm. and your whole body is gauged to that. What you know, year mm-hmm. after year after year. Then, um, and trauma lives in the body, right? There's the book yeah. that um, the body remembers, or then the body keeps the score. Yes, 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 yes. Um, yeah, exa- yeah. And so you don't. I bet there's a lot of people who have, on a lot of different levels, have. Mm-hmm. Um, endured things. And then, and then you, especially like your mid thirties or whatever, they're like, why am I having panic attacks? Why am I? And yeah. I'm like, cause you, and, you got, you reach a limit. <laughs> yeah. And they say your body knows not to release it to you or bring it up to you until you're ready. And so I don't know if that was something that happened for me where I just was ready and I maybe couldn't have fa- looked at this or faced this, you know, 15, 20 years ago. So somehow your body is smart enough to know Um, that they're ready to bring something up and out. And I'll tell you, when I first learned about being an adult child of alcoholic and and started looking at the trauma and how it affected me, I think for a long time I looked at it, I was, so disassociation is a common trait of children that grow up in abuse. And so you look at it, but it's a story that you, you know, this happened, but I couldn't put that, this happened to me, this happened to the little girl that lived inside of me. And then when I started to go, yeah, that was you. And are you okay? You know, and kind of talk to that wounded child and learn about my inner child and all of that work. It was like, oh, and so the crying and like visceral, like deep, deep grief for my childhood and what I went through and why did it have to be that way? And why didn't my dad want me? And why was my mom such an alcoholic? All of those things, just facing it, it just kind of, you know, hit me. And I, I think I, you know, I could probably cried more that year. I'd wake up in the night, just sobbing. I'd be at yoga, laying on my mat, just sobbing and driving, sobbing. but it's, it was coming up and out and I'd shoved it and shoved it and shoved it. And it just could, it wouldn't stay down. It wouldn't stay down. I was, you know, probably in a safe place because I was out of Washington. I was like not distracting myself as much. I was in a small town. I didn't know anyone. I had, I was time to look at it. Yeah. It was time to face it. And I felt so much healing that year that I think I'm, you know, I think that's why I'm able to share my writing now from mm-hmm. this place. Oh, yeah. And I couldn't have finished a memoir still stuck in the muck. Like I had to walk through all of that 
get to the other yeah. side. And now I have a voice for healing and like sharing. And this is how I've stayed sober. And this is how I've overcome childhood abuse and trauma. But it took that pain. Yeah. That real, you know, just gut wrenching pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, to feel like I finally have a story to share. Yeah. yeah. And if you don't you- fight, like if you do fight it, like it seems like your body will make you physically sick too. So I've seen that in people where yeah. you just keep pushing it down. Like your body's like, nope, <laughs> like you're going to get cold. Do you think that's where like disease, you know, disease can oh, come yeah. from? The, like mm-hmm. what you were saying, Carrie, about just holding on our adrenal glands give out. And then here oh, yeah. we are with stomach issues and hernias and mm-hmm. tumors and, you know, what heart yes. disease and. So just really looking at the internal. I fully believe that. Yeah, I fully Mm -hmm. believe that. I mean, and everybody um, probably has some level of trauma because the spectrum of trauma is big, right? So someone Mm -hmm. thinks, well, I didn't have those things happen to me, so I must be fine. I'm like, well, I mean, you could bullying. You could just have had bullying. You could have endured some, you know, a group of friends or a scene that was not you and you didn't, you know. There's yeah. lots of ways we as humans endure. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of us, yes. All of us, right? Um, I, you know, I've told this story about when I started having panic attacks. Um, I feel like it was a post, this is going to sound dramatic, but it's like, like just post release after doing years of music in the music industry and all of that, or what, or my 20s, you name it, I don't know. Um, at some point, I think my, body and definitely adrenal glands. And this is pretty common for women too, heading into their late thirties, forties, um, where your adrenal glands start to burn out, um, where I just hit a wall. Um, and I hadn't done, Mm -hmm. I hadn't stopped like, or was ready to stop and be like, Hey, how's it, how's it been going? Like, how are you doing? (laughs) You know, like, because, when, you know, you're in something and it's going fast and something new is happening all the time and you're reacting and enduring. And it's, and, and I relate it to being a woman because there's just particular things that happen to you or the set or, um, or doing creative things like that or getting up in front of people there, you have to kind of react quick. Right. And, mm-hmm. and in a lot of ways, not only to just, I guess, handle the situation, but keep yourself safe when you don't even have the answer, what you, what your true answer to this might be because it's happening fast. Anyways, mm-hmm. lots of buildup of that, I think started to unravel and I started to have chronic panic. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, it took years. Um, I'm probably still, I'm, I mean, we're always growing, but still mm-hmm. unraveling things. But I have mm-hmm. a question for you. Sure. Did you, when you were ready and you really were ready for what, what feels to me like ground zero, like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm ready to sit here and really allow ground zero to show up mm-hmm. and I'm going to look and I can look at all of it. There's just like an, a ready opening at mm-hmm. some point in that process. Did you start to feel like, cause it could seem as absurd to other people, but like, did you have that moment where you were like, oh my God, this is such a good thing. Like you're a little bit on the other side, like if you were going over the side, sort of a little mm-hmm. bit of like, wow, doing this kind of thing, which before you might have thought would have been terrifying and out of control, mm-hmm. like, oh, this is it. This is the good thing. More. I just want to cry more. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Well, OK. So for years and years, I thought if this damn breaks, I'm never coming out. I'm going to be in a right. psychiatric ward. I'm going to drink. I'm going to commit suicide. You know, those thoughts were very real for me. Mm-hmm. And so I just 
kept back. I didn't want to dive into it. I didn't even want to open it the tap like a teeny bit because I thought I would be gone. Yeah. I just didn't think I could ever deal with any of it. And so when that dam did break and I don't know, I know writing was so therapeutic. And I just remember waking up in the night and having a journal next to my bed, just an old cheap, you know, notepad and a pencil. And it was dark and I would just write and cry. And it wasn't legible. It was scribbles Mm -hmm. because I was half asleep, two in the morning, three in the morning. But I felt like it was an opening. It was an awakening. It was like a, a surrender. Mm-hmm. It, it felt very spiritual. It felt just yeah. like, like what you're saying, like, yes, this is the breakthrough that I need to have. This is the time it hurts. It hurts. It hurts. But I know I'm going to come out on the other yeah. side. Um, I mean, I didn't always know it. it. You know, grief is so powerful. Oh my God. Yeah. And, you know, so I had lost, I was pregnant with my boy who's 11. Now when my mom, I got a call that my mom was found homeless in a hotel room dead, you know, of a overdose, like horrible, you know, I kind of waited for that call my whole life thinking, you know, when's the day that she's going to be found dead because it's just a matter of time. And she was 55 Mm -hmm. and I, I was pregnant, seven months pregnant. I was, um, this is a funny story, but I was in a new relationship. The first time we had sex, I got pregnant. (laughs) And, um, so we've been together 12 years, but, um, we have this 11 year old boy and we've been together 12 years. And so it's, it turned out to be a great story, but it was, you know, it was a surprise. (laughs) And so I'm moving in with this new boyfriend. I'm having a baby. I have another son from my my previous marriage. My mom dies. I'm in college. Like, what else? I'm working two jobs, all of the things. Oh my God. Yeah. And I, you know, so in a new relationship, first of all, you know, quick, you know, a uh, pregnant, he, he got to know all of me in 12 months <laughs> and saw everything. Um, hormones, meeting his parents, you know, pregnant, flying to oh Minnesota God. and meeting his parents five months pregnant. And he, they're like, we didn't even know you were dating anyone. <laughs> There's an uber religious, like been married 50 years. Oh my gosh. So, man, you know, it just all culminated and she passed and I didn't deal with that grief of, of my mom's passing because I I'd say, well, that's okay. We weren't that close, but your mother, you know, I, Mm -hmm. it took years for me to say like, we weren't that close, but I still grieve the mother. I wish I could have had. Oh my God. Yeah. I write a lot of articles about yeah. that, that mother wound. It's a real oh, thing. It's yes. deep. Yes. And so, you know, I still, I still grieve, I, you know, when her birthday rolls around and, and thank God, why couldn't have her life have been different? You know, she was in so much pain mm-hmm. and that just permeated to, you know, me and her, you know, throughout her life, she had a dark life and, and didn't have a happy life. And I wish I could have gone back and think, well, what mental illness was she suffering from? What medication yeah. or therapy or what could she, you know, but drinking was the antidote mm-hmm. and drug use and smoking and men and all the things she did to cope with her feelings of unworthy, unworthiness and her own shame and her own, you know, so that cycle from generation to generation to generation. And I just felt like when I was 21, I got the DUI, I got court ordered to AA. I'm like, thank you. This has to stop with me because I'm doing everything I swear I would never do. I'm basically my mother who I never wanted to be. Right. 
And so that DUI, you know, was a gift and I didn't see it as one then, (laughs) but, and then, so I had, I go to AA meetings, I'm court ordered and I see a guy that I used to party with and we start hanging out, which means having sex. And (laughs) I got pregnant with eight months of sobriety. Mm-hmm. And so me and my, and then we get married, pregnant, thinking, let's do the right thing. We're sober. Yeah. Let's get married. Even though I'm as big as a house, 200 pounds, <laughs> three weeks before my due date, I'd never been pregnant. I think, oh yeah, I can get married in a, you know, that's a story in itself. It's in my book. I get be, that. Yeah. It's hilarious. <laughs> Wedding, swollen yeah. ankles, um, just huge. And so we get married, we have this baby and So my former husband and I, we both have been sober 23 years and we have this 21 year old son who's never seen us drink. Yeah. And he's like my best friend, like a brother, because we came through similar upbringings. Um, He was a heroin addict, like just we've been through it all. We find each other in AA. We have this baby. We sober, you know, our life revolves around sobriety and we only stayed married till our son was seven. Mm-hmm. But we've kept this relationship, you know, this oh, whole time. Cool. So it's, yeah. it's a family mm-hmm. yeah. you know, that we created that's different than what we came from. So yeah. I think that's our son what... just thinks we're weird, but because <laughs> <laughs> he's in college and he parties and he's just like, well, so maybe that come no matter around. what. Yeah. 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 But that's amazing to break um, a cycle. Mm-hmm. I mean, my hat's off to you, both of you. you. Um, just breaking a lineage, that's a huge thing to do. Um, and I often think like maybe that's what you came to do. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. break yeah. a cycle, tell the story. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because I think people have purpose, mm-hmm. you know, even if it's just what they need to learn, you know, but not mm-hmm. necessarily that they're producing something out in the world, but their own lessons. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. You know, it's interesting. I was trying to look, you know, you mentioned like your son probably doesn't, well, doesn't know you guys any different than sober. And I just got done reading a book. I want to mm-hmm. say it's Erin Carr. Um, I'm trying to look it up. I'm sorry, but she has, oh, okay. oh God, I'm going to get her name wrong. Anyways, it, it's it's her memoir about um, being a heroin addict. And she starts off the book by saying she has this son who's about 11, I think 11 or 12 going like, comes to her and asks her like, mom, why do people do drugs? Cause they're starting to have the talks in school or whatever. And her Mm -hmm. son has no idea about this whole history. And so she starts the book off. Like, how do I, you know, I give my son the health, like a shorter, healthier answer, but Mm -hmm. I didn't, I, you know, at that point, I have never shared with them like that, that me, you know what I mean? And it's a long history and for, for you or her or anybody, right? Like just being an adult with a kid, you're like, you know, I've had a life. (laughs) (laughs) I am a person who's led a life though, but yeah, no, no, they don't. Um, But just to also know all the places that you've walked right and then you know it's been your journey and you've worked with it how do you share that forward to somebody at that age too because I'm like man I really don't want to break innocence you know what I mean like I don't know I don't want to tell you because I don't want to bring darkness into your life but at the same time I I, maybe it would be a good thing and you'd know me more that's Mm -hmm. that's tough I mean how have you how have you shared Oh, it's so funny because in writing the book, I've had 
he didn't know that I had an affair on his father when he was Mm -hmm. three. And I went to an inpatient treatment facility for 21 days while he was three. I was sober, but I was suicidal. And so how do you tell, you know, he's 21 now. Yeah. Yeah. And so just a month ago, I I said, can you call me? I need to talk to you. And there's a few things I need, we need to talk about. And I, I said, I don't know that you remember this, but I remembered, you know, when he was three, he was staying with a friend of mine and that they were in the grocery store and that they were shopping along. And all of a sudden my, my baby at the time, three-year-old baby says, my mom's on vacation and was bawling because we'd said I was going on a vacation for three weeks. Yes. Yeah. It's hard on a, on a three-year-old that's used to having his mom every day. And so um, I asked him if he remembered, you know, that, and he, he said, mom, I was three. I don't remember. It's fine. Like, let it go. He's, he's very <laughs> cool. Um, I said, and I, I just, you know, I'm writing about that and I'm writing about, you know, I had an affair on, on dad and I just need to tell you, you know, that, and, and we just never thought to tell you. And that was part of the reason we got divorced. And he's, I'm like, do you remember being with me at this gentleman's house? Cause he came with me all mm-hmm. the time to this gentleman's house. Mm-hmm. And, um, he said he has no recollection. And so I brought it out in the open, you know, for my own peace of mind, I didn't want him to hear about it or read it in a book or not that he would read my book, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, just, I need Oh, he will. <laughs> <laughs> so then my 11 year old, um, you know, I, I was worried about that too, cause I'm writing some vulnerable things, you know, uh, but he, he will sometimes comment on my elephant journal articles and he will just read, I think he skims and he'll just write like great article, something like that. So he cares less than I thought he would. He knows me now. He knows, you know, I'm with him. He knows me and his dad don't drink. He knows I have a history. He knows I had a difficult childhood. And we're really open and we actually talk about it a lot. So my hope, my prayer is that he will learn from my experiences Mm -hmm. and that it's not me sharing like, you know, I was sexually active at a young age. I drank and used drugs and smoked and he's a really health conscious. So I feel like he's already saying like, well, mom, I will never try drugs. I will never try alcohol. And I say, well, that's what I thought too. But, you know, let's talk about peer pressure. Let's talk about having a plan for when someone offers you something, what do you say? And what are your reasons why? Because, you know, we all know that in junior high and high school, when it's that first time, like, Oh, here, try a beer here, try some pot. I didn't have a reason to say no, you know, I just, okay. You know? Right. Well, and trauma aside, you sort of feel like you're Mm -hmm. immortal, you know, from that age into your twenties, right. You don't, you don't think you, you just don't think about those things. Right. That's well, the biggest I, I was, risk. Yeah. You're just so oh, tough yeah. at that age. So tough. And I didn't have identity. I just, I was searching so hard. If I'm like her, mm. will I be okay? If I'm like him, will I be okay? So all the things I saw other people doing and wearing and acting like I emulated. So I was like this chameleon, you know, just trying mm-hmm. on different ways to be thinking, I, it was like I was empty inside and I didn't really learn the skills for living that I should have, you mm-hmm. know, morals, values, ethics, anything. It was, I, I'd start stealing at a young age. I just didn't have that moral compass. Yeah. And so I see girls drinking and I want to, you know, girls are having sex and I want to do that too. Like, um, 
I want to be the tough party girl. Right. That became my persona. And it's like, I grew up in a home where drinking and drugs was, was great. That was what you did. And mm-hmm. so my parents accepted me at that point. It's like, can I have a beer? Can I have cigarettes? Can I smoke pot with you guys? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, now my parents love me too. This is great. Right. And now I'm part of the, you know, I'm part of the in, in crowd or so I thought. But it, co- you know, it causes so much destruction. I mean, just the desire to belong and be loved. Mm hmm. That's it's the just, root of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's going both ways with your parents. Like they want you to love them. So if they're addicts, they're like, yeah, you should. You know, that seems normal. Cause like, that's what I do. And I want you to be part of my life. And it's very totally you know, unhealthiness. Yeah. yeah. Oh God. I just remember. So I got the DUI and I talked to my mom and I'm like, mom, I got this DUI. I don't know if I'm an alcoholic, but they need me to go to treatment for two years. And this is what I have to do to get out of it. And Melissa, you're not an alcoholic. If you were an alcoholic, you know, I'd be able to tell you and everyone drinks, everyone's depressed, Melissa. That's how people live. And, and so I never saw really another way, you know, until I went to AA Mm -hmm. and at AA, everyone's telling my story, you know? Yeah. And, And I'm like, okay, now I'm home. Like now I hear these stories. I resonate. I don't have to be ashamed to talk about the feelings that I've had inside. Yeah. What I've been trying to cover up with alcohol. Do you think, how, did it feel hard to, to be, um, here you are a kid, mm-hmm. but obviously like a wise soul in there somewhere who is, you know, at that young age going, this does you probably were already going, this doesn't seem right. Mm-hmm. But your parent who should be playing the role of wisdom, right? Mm-hmm. Says, nah, it's fine. And here's all the reasons it's fine. It That's a hard place to be in too, because you want the adult to be the adult and to teach mm-hmm. and you get to be the kid. But when you're the kid who has more knowledge than your parent, like that's a weird space to be in as mm-hmm. well. It's not like a secu- you would think like, oh, great. At least I knew the answer. I'm like, no, but that's not a secure feeling. No, like, wait, yeah. I'm not getting parenting that I deserve or yeah. should be having. I'm, this is another like, you're on your own, kid. You know, like. Yeah. And that's when you kind of have to branch off from those dysfunctional people that you still have a glimmer of hope that they'll eventually, you know, love you enough or be there or, or, you know, be proud of you. I don't, a lot of times I never doubted that my mom was proud of me and that she loved me. Mm-hmm. She definitely didn't know how to show it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, one of part of my story is I met my father at 15 when he got out of prison. And so we meet and my mom wasn't okay with it. So an aunt brings me to where he was working. We meet and he's this tan guy. He's got a lot of muscles because he lifted weights in the in prison. Tank top, kind of a gigolo, I want to say, you know, uh-huh. long bullet. You know, he was, he was, he thought he was God's <laughs> right. for sure. Oh my. <laughs> and I meet him and how nervous I am to meet my father, my biological father that I wanted to meet my whole life. I had no idea about him, just that he, you know, had given me up and didn't, didn't want a kid. So I carried that around that kind of like, well, he didn't want me. So what's wrong with me? I'm defective. You know, he didn't want my mom. So what's wrong with my mom? She's defective. And I think that dug a hole in her too, which, you know, acted out in her addiction. But I meet him and it took me hours to get ready for this, this meeting with my father, like curled my hair and tried to look good enough. And am I too fat? And all of the things that go through your mind when you're 15, 
he's not going to like me. You know, my teeth are a cricket. I didn't, my mom couldn't afford braces. Like all of those insecurities just came out and I meet him and we talk and um, he gives me his card after we leave and it has his phone number on it. And I, I get to my friend's house and I'm jumping up and down. I met my dad. I met my dad. I love him. I met my dad. I love him. You know, I'm just like best uh-huh. day of my life. And I'm like, can I call him? Can I call him now? Like, I just, I wanted to call my dad. Like it was oh, like, yeah. and so I call him and we talk on the phone for a couple hours and then we make plans for the weekend and he comes, he's a Harley guy and he comes and picks me up on his bike and I go to his house and he has a wife and, you know, I get to know my dad, but we're, we're on our way to his house. And he says, what do you like to drink? And I'm like, beer, I'm 15. Right. He buys me a six pack of beer, pops it in my lap at the convenience store. We go to his house. I cra- I'm cracking beers while he we're sitting on a lazy boy together. And he's showing me pictures of, you know, him when he was a kid, you know, introducing me, you know, his brothers, his mom, you know, his dad telling me about my lineage. But it's so weird when I look back, I'm like, why did he buy me beer? Mm-hmm. Even yeah. if I said I liked beer when I was 15. Yeah. Gotta be the cool dad. (laughs) Gotta be the cool dad. So then, and this carries on, um, and I read a lot about this, but when I was 17, I went on a trip to Disneyland with a friend for spring break. And it's me and her. I'm 17. She's 18. And right when we get to the Motel 6 in Anaheim, we meet these guys who have a shoe box of cocaine. And Mm -hmm. I thought, I'd never do cocaine. But here I am, 17, and they give it me some lines, and I snort them. And I feel the best I've ever felt in my whole life. Yeah. So I get home and I, to my dad, he's, oh, I did cocaine. I did cocaine. <laughs> and he's like, Melissa, if you're going to do cocaine, you need to ask me for it. I can get you the good stuff. Oh my gosh. And, and I'm like, okay. And so then him and I go on a long journey of cocaine and meth and me selling it for him and mm-hmm. lots of debacles and, um, yeah. you know, not a healthy father-daughter dynamic. And there's one more story where I was 18 and I got a job at a strip club because everyone was doing it. Mm -hmm. Uh And I tell my dad and he's proud of me. He's like, wow, awesome. Are you going to do that? Are you going to do that? And it's very sexually inappropriate, like this sleazy, icky relationship. And so when I look back, I'm like, he's passed now. When I look back, I think, gosh, that wasn't okay for a 15 year old Mm -hmm. and a father, but he didn't know how to be a father. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't know how to be a daughter Mm -hmm. really. And it was really messy, really messy. Well, and that's, again, it's so hard when you're like, oh, someone doesn't know how to be a father, but you're a kid, right? It's, um, Mm -hmm. you know, we had my friend Becky um, Harbine on the podcast and we grew up together in the Tri-Cities and, um, you know, sort of gotten to know each other again. And she recounted, we were just talking about like younger and the abuses, um, big and small that you go through as a girl as well. And she's done deep trauma work, like deep trauma work. Um, and which I find so amazing and, and fascinating, like good, good information. Um, and she came over one day to my house and I was explaining some of the um, uh, behavior or approach of my stepdad. And she's like, you've experienced trauma. And I was like, what? 
you know, like, she's like, that's not okay. And I, like, I hadn't thought about it, you know, not, nothing like, what it doesn't really matter, but like nothing extreme, but just to sexualize a girl, I'd say anybody below 18 or talk to you like you're a woman, right? Like, or, or inappropriate is, is, is the thing as well. Um, inappropriate. Like, mm -hmm. uh, why would you say, you know, again, sexualizing young girls, um, mm -hmm. highly and highly breaking, you know, you're not like you're shoved into a state that you're not old enough to mm -hmm. even, you're not, you're not that right. Like, yeah. but again, enduring and coping, if you're, you know, I'll, probably the wrong word, but like you get smart quick, <laughs> like yeah, about, mm -hmm, you get smart quick about like how to handle or deflect attention um, or relegate it. Like you've mentioned um, or say it's okay because one, if you don't, if you say it's not okay, they're, might not be a solution and you're in the family now it's awkward and awful or whatever mm -hmm. and i brought up something and and that played out in my family later when i was in college i shared something with my mom and it was a shocking thing and it was a pretty classic experience of like she never spoke to me about it mm -hmm. i know she had a conversation with him um but she never spoke to me about it and she remained with him, like, I don't, you know, whatever, but, but I don't know what those conversations were, but I was, but that, that's so classic. I'm like, what if I had actually said something then? Like, would I be abandoned in the family while I'm younger? Like, um, mm -hmm. and so anyways, just all, all the touches on survival <laughs> mechanisms and, yeah. and again, that goes somewhere. Right. Mm -hmm. And it plays out in relationships. I bet you would say, right? Like oh, plays yeah. out your interactions or lack of knowing how mm -hmm. to uh, knowing how to have boundaries, how to say no and in all the ways to say no, not just sexually, but like my right to state my thought. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. My yeah. opinion. And, and it's not up for debate kind of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm still working on that. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Well, yeah. If you have that parenting, you know, it's like, that's even harder because you mm -hmm. don't learn about boundaries from the adults in your mm -hmm. life as a kid. And then you yeah. want to be accepted. So you're saying yes to the, all these like crazy things that are really unhealthy. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 I'd venture to say that, that everyone has had a trauma, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. Um, I think that's what's so interesting about the ACEs, like taking that quiz and finding out like where you are on that spectrum. Yeah. Because it names the 10 things. And some of those things you might think, well, yeah, that happened to me, but I wouldn't have thought about that as a, as a right. event happening in my life. Because there's so many more worse people that have had so right. many bad things happen to them. I even didn't want to compare, you know, the book, The Lost Child, or, you know, there were so many traumatic events in children's lives that I'd read about, I thought, well, I've, you know, so many have had it so much worse. So I would minimize my own. And yes. when we do that, we just don't get, we take away all our power because the power is in healing it, not denying it like our parents want to do or, or people in our family, you know, they don't want to look at, I think it's the generational thing because most families in before our generation would kind of sweep everything under the rug, mm -hmm. make it look perfect on the outside. Yeah. And I had a therapist once say to me, 
it's harder for kids that grow up in a home where everything's perfect on the outside, but there's so much going on on the inside that's dysfunctional. And and me growing up, you know, it was clearly dysfunctional, the apartments, the junky cars, the fighting, the police coming, all of it was clearly dysfunctional. But she said, sometimes that's easier because you're not having to try to pretend it's something it's not. Right. So I think that's interesting. Yeah, because if you say it's not, especially at that age, there's nothing you can, it feels like there's nothing you can do. Mm -hmm. I mean, and again, you aren't born to go be like, you know what I'll be handling at 12? Yeah, and I'll be all equipped for it. Like, you know what I mean? Navigating, making decisions, getting help, who to call, you know, like Mm -hmm. navigate a system. No, (laughs) none of that. Have you heard them say, you know, you just need one person in your life that believes in you or nurtures you. Mm -hmm. And that can take away the adverse situations that you've been in. So for me, I attribute that to like my grandparents. I had two aunts that took care of me and that were normal. They just had jobs and they had homes and they had husbands and they had children and they were funny and they didn't, they weren't that darkness that I lived in. And so getting to see my aunts and my grandparents and be, get away from what I lived in, I think that was my saving grace. Like, I think that was what showed me it doesn't have to be like this. Mm -hmm. I don't have to be who my mom is Mm -hmm. Um, because she embarrassed me. Having yeah. an alcoholic for a parent is so embarrassing. Mm-hmm. They don't show up to anything. They don't help you. They just, my mom was like, you can never go to college. You can't get braces. You can't do, you know, you need yeah. to get a job. It was like hard knocks, you know? Yeah. So I just didn't aspire to be anything. I thought, right. well, what's the point in trying in school if I can't go to college? You know, it was, it was very yeah. demeaning. And then it takes something maybe inherently, you know, just in my heart that was like, no, I can do those things and I will do those things. And, um, I want a different life and I will break this cycle. And, um, you know, I've always felt like I needed to share this story. I didn't know Mm -hmm. when, I didn't know how, (laughs) Yeah. Um, but I've just been kind of writing it and the memories are vivid. They're clear as day. Yeah. That I write about. I hope, cause I do think it's important to say, I hope you know how awesome you are, that you were strong. Like, I hope you gave yourself daily pats on the back. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, because that is all you all day. Thank um, you. No, I struggle. I mean, I, I struggle with insecurity and um, I have situations where I still have that fear of authority figures working with, you know, a boss and I shrink and oh my God. Yeah. Oh gosh. So what am I doing wrong? You know, what should I have said? It's, it's I'm 44, almost 45. And it's a, it's a mm-hmm. daily mind game that I yes. have, you know, I still just don't have that inherent sense of worth. And so I'm always self-talking and, yes. you know, luckily I've learned tools. Like I can pray and I can meditate and I can breathe and I can tell myself aff- affirmations and mantras and gosh, it's a, it's a, st- it's a daily yeah. struggle. And I think how do normal people live? Like, do they just go and <laughs> well, I don't but think no, there are normal, normal people. Yeah, yeah exactly. There are no normal people. Normal is definitely a myth. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I'm learning. It's like, God, it seemed like everyone else had it together. Everyone well, else had the script. Nope. No. And you know, what's funny is when you mention like at work, like whatever, I mean, that is a lot of the coaching I do is mm. with people in corporate jobs. And it is, and I'm talking in people I know who work in 
well-known places, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Who on the one hand, you could say like, wow, look at you, you're amazing. You got a job there. Cause that happens a lot. Like, wow, look what an amazing, you know, you work at Facebook or you work at Microsoft or you work at blah, blah, blah. There's a whole story of, you know, image around that or Mm -hmm. genius or whatever. But a lot of people that I talk to and coach within jobs like these, same thing. Like we talk a lot about how you get lost, you completely, your authentic self gets lost within a work culture. But then yet you're like, you're saying like how you respond to the people you work with your boss and all of that often like fear-based, mm-hmm. like in yeah. fear. Yeah. And so we talk about, um, and that's a walk I, I've also done like this is, I love talking about this stuff because I think it's hap- it's all happening a lot, right? Um, Brene Brown has a great book about dare to lead and says so many things about like work cultures and things like that. Um, and I always tell people, I'm like, at some point you have to, dis- you have to make a decision internally to figure out what it means to be your authentic self and live from there. And then you got to kind of take, question and take a look at the basis for these thoughts and fears, you know, and, a, and I think a lot of times people are like, if we bottom lined any of these scenarios, you're f- afraid of getting fired. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know what I mean? Like really that's the bottom line. So like I went into my last job at the Bill and Melinda Gates foundation. I mean, for a lot of people that's like, Holy grail. Wow. Uh, in nonprofit. Um, and I remember going in just to learn personal lessons, or it was a big part of, in my mind, what I was doing. And one of the first things I promised to myself was like willing to be fired. <laughs> like, like I yeah. need to be willing to be fired to, to actually change and figure this out and then function differently. Mm-hmm. Um, because there are, there's so, I mean, depending on the culture, there's so much game playing. There's mm-hmm. so much ideology that you are told is the truth. Mm-hmm. Right. Or this is what's important or you need to function this way. I mean, let's and it could be down to the individual who has their own bag of things sure. or the work culture. It's just huge. It could be huge. Mm-hmm. Um, but how empowering it must be to challenge that mm-hmm. and side with yourself. Yeah. When you're sharing, this is um, what I'm thinking. Imposter syndrome. Oh my God. Yes. It's such a huge word. I have, I have that, you know, who are you to tell your story? And I, I'm in the process of sending query letters out and I have to sell myself and I somehow I'm going to have to overcome this fear that I'm not good enough and that my story is not good enough and people are going to be bored by reading it. And, you know, that's a day, that's a daily struggle that I just have to believe that I'm being led And one foot in front of the other, kind of staying on that straight and narrow path is what I kind of feel like and and not letting myself be derailed Mm -hmm. because my own brain will sell myself short and I'll sabotage myself and say, "Hmm, you didn't need to really publish. You you wrote the book. That's good. You don't really need to publish it. That's fine. You know, that's what my brain says or who would want it or why are you going through all this work when no one's going to want it? Yeah. And that's a day. I mean, that was today. That was this morning, me trying yeah. to overcome my own um, fears. And I, I just have been, da- I downloaded this app called the tapping solution. Yes. Yeah. Where yeah. You do the tapping yeah. and yes, I'm telling dude. myself, you know, uh-huh. I am worthy. Uh-huh. I deserve to, you know, my uh-huh. book is, you know, I have a story to share and I'm 
doing it and it feels so good. Isn't it's it amazing? so empowering. Yes. I don't know yes. what it is with the tapping. It's um points on your body. They're um not like acupressure points, um, but they release uh they release not dopamine and things like that, but it helps narrow you down. Also the mantra of like um saying it to yourself rearranges things as well. Okay. Yeah, that's so these are all me. like it's just yeah. like getting it in your yeah. head and like confirming like that you're thinking the right things. Yeah. And you're being you gotta be positive. Like that does really help. You know? It really yeah. does. We'll put a link into tapping. There's a great book. Yeah. I have a book on oh, that as well. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But, you know what, Melissa though, I was thinking too, I was like, call me. I'm going to give you my phone number because okay. I, I'm, I love all day, every day to be like, hell yeah, you're going to write that book. <laughs> okay. And here's yes. 10 reasons why. <laughs> we need cheerleaders, you know, and we just, yeah. and we, but no one would know if, if we're too afraid to say, I'm scared. I'm really being vulnerable. I'm putting myself out there. Mm -hmm. What if nobody likes me? What if my story is not, you know, if I don't say it, I can't deal with it. And if I don't share it with people, then no one can help me and give me that positive feedback. Just like writing. If I would have never shared that first article and gotten, you know, let's say, let's say everyone would have said, God, you had a horrible life. And why are you, why don't you go crawl under a rock? You know, that didn't happen. That's what I thought would happen. Yeah. Um, so I shared vulnerably. I was re- people were receptive. I felt loved and nurtured, and, I, and then I could stand taller. And I noticed even after sharing that article the next day, I walked around and I could look people in the eye, mm-hmm. and I let go of like hundred pounds of shame that I'd yeah. been carrying around, like a huge Great. backpack of shame, just yeah. by telling someone the truth. The truth, yeah. and mm-hmm. what you're saying about authenticity. Share but- your truth. And we as humans need to connect, right? Like we isolate, we, and I don't know if I could just, maybe it's America too, but it's just like, we isolate individualism too, goes to the extreme where you just isolate and you don't want to burden somebody with your story. It becomes like all these reasons why you don't come out of, you know, you don't connect with somebody else to share. And um, you have a lot of sharing experiences, right? Out of necessity and, and healthy and um all that stuff. But I was also thinking as you were talking to, and this is something I harp on a lot is I feel, I feel like everyone should know that they're a value mm-hmm. and that there is a truth to live by that would just game change a lot of the insecurities. If, if you really believed that the truth is your, the truth, and I really say truth heavy, like, mm-hmm. because we all live by some truth, right? Good or bad. Yep. If you, truth, yeah. yeah, totally. It's like, if you really lived by the truth, it is, you're automatically a value when you're born. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You're yeah. here for a reason when you're born. Like, these are truths, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, then it, uh, I believe like a lot of the other stuff that is put thrust upon you, you know, through your life growing up or people or surroundings or whatever would fall away. If you're like, well, that's not the truth. Yes. Because we get a lot of truths thrust on us or, you know, somebody's reaction or their own, whatever, like as if, as if it was truth. Mm -hmm. And then we think it's like, is that true? Oh, and then you start to morph or whatever. And you get um, dislodged from like your authentic center. Like, Mm -hmm. no, that is not true. That's that person's projection. Remember what truth is. Or what your truth is and Mm -hmm. that it's real, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think that helps ground it into people when you look at things as real, Mm -hmm. like that's truth, you know, as steady ground to stand on as opposed to like, well, that's a nice thought. I really wish I could get that in my body, but I can't, (laughs) you know, like, yeah, 
because don't you think you could be, you could read a lot of great knowledge, you could be fed a lot of great speeches and all that, but that doesn't mean it sinks in. Mm-hmm. Right. And don't you think truth is different for so many people? Like I would love mm-hmm. to go to work and spout off and say, I'm sober and I do this and I share my emotions and I, people there aren't willing to jump on this train right, yet. Right. Depends what your but job I still is. Share. Yeah. So. yeah. My personally yeah. in the upper crest, Minnesota, like I'm probably, I'm 30 minutes North of the city. It's, it's pretty urban. It's like, or should I say not urban? It's becoming more urban. It's more, mm-hmm. you know, people that maybe had their ancestors grew up on farms and it's kind of small town still that mentality. And, you know, I'm vegan and I don't drink. And that's, I'm a, a very much a minority at work. And people are still talking about, you know, we're going to go out for drinks Friday. Do you want to come? And I'm saying, yeah. So just the other day I had to say to someone, I, I think I've told you and I share about it all the time, but did you know I'm a recovering alcoholic? And <laughs> said, I don't drink pop. I'm not going to sit at happy hour with you guys. Like I can't eat anything on the menu. Just Let's let's not because I appreciate you asking me, but every time you ask me and I decline, I feel rude. So Mm -hmm. this is the reason. This is my truth. This is, you know, I had said I'm a sober person before, but to to other people that are in recovery, sober could mean by choice. Right. Mm -hmm. Like like I'm choosing not to drink. No, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I needed to say the word alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And this was just this week that I had to talk to this person because it it would catch me off guard every time I was asked to go to happy hour. I'd be like, uh, 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 I feel like you should know that I don't want to go to happy hour, but they don't, yeah. they don't. So I do, you know, I eat the way I eat and I, I'm sober and I, you know, I share my articles, but most of the people, let's say here's my core group and we're all kind of doing the same thing. But then here's my, my people out here that are just coworkers, acquaintances, my in-laws, you know, people in, um, that I've met here in Minnesota no way. Like I am so far off, you know, and, and those are the people that I would let stop me from doing, you know, igniting my dream to write a book because they're going to think I'm weird or, you know, they're going to think I'm different. And I really don't want to be different. I want to blend. Yeah. So maybe I have dreams. You're going to inspire them (laughs) to maybe understand and spread that with other people. Like, oh, I actually have a friend who I think is an alcoholic. Maybe I should talk to them. And that's what I hope. You hope. And you just stay in your truth. And when I got sober, I was 21. And none of my 21-year-old friends stopped drinking. Mm -hmm. But guess Mm -hmm. what? Here they are. They're all trickling in (laughs) in their 40s. Yeah. Um, And I'm here. I'm here for it. Like, I'm like, okay, I can help you. Like, this is what we do. And this is how it's done. But, you know, for 10 years, I was really lonely in sobriety, like, Mm -hmm. because all my friends were out at the bars and, and at 21, I was done. And, and thank God, because I think I wouldn't be, I wouldn't, I know I wouldn't be here. Just the way I was going, the trajectory of my life was like, down, 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 down. And then getting pregnant at eight months sober was a gift like that. Me thinking, okay, I can't drink. I'm pregnant. I don't want to be an alcoholic mom. I don't want to be a hungover mom. I don't want to be the mom I was. And genetically, I'm screwed. Mm-hmm. If I drink, you know, I just know that I'll be my mom. And yeah. so my mom saved me in that aspect. My son saved me in that aspect. And, you know, anytime I ever had a fleeting thought of like, I should drink, it was like that reminder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, 
I love that you say your mom helped you in that aspect. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, just- it can come full circle with her. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. And she had a boyfriend um, from the time I was six years old till 25 years after. So I was a doll and out of the house. Um, and they just had this codependent abusive. He died at 49. She died at 55. My dad died at 59. Like, I'm like, do I want that life where you just abuse right. your body so much that you die? You know, and after having lived, you know, this dark, alcoholic, addictive life and they're thinking, well, we drink because it makes us happy. We do drugs. We want to live the way we want to live. Like they have that mentality, but it's like you could have such a life of freedom. Right. You know, if you can just put down those addictions, but they, too, don't want to deal with their demons, you know. Right. They they were abused. They're self-medicating. It just says for sure medication for the problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a thing like that. I and this is just me personally, like it always sounds like, oh, yeah, we're just drinking we're doing whatever. I'm like, you are not talking about the hangover. Mm-hmm. You're not talking about the panic and the what's Paranoia. happening. In the next, yeah. And I'm like, mm-hmm. how are you even surviving that? Right. Like, yeah. how do you know, like, well, and you're not you're not surviving it. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you can't if you're in a panic state, you can't get a job. You know what I mean? Like you. Mm-hmm. Um, that mental state to me is terrifying. It's you know, not a way you, to live. No, because you can't really function. So, mm-hmm. I mean, in a lot of the, um, you know, I've definitely gone down the rabbit hole of like sobriety books and mm-hmm. recovery books and things like that. And l- lately I was telling Ryan, I've, you know, there's a lot of sober curious books as well. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And there's the one like quit like a woman. Yes. Um, which Holly Whitaker, right? Yeah, I haven't read it, but yes. Um, I just really, I I like that one. There's many that I've liked. I actually have a really mm-hmm. small one that's uh, perfect in so many ways, just because her story is like, yeah, there it is. You know, like, um, but I love that Holly talks about all of it. Like, let's mm-hmm. look at what alcohol is. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. let's talk about like, play that story all the way out, you know, mm-hmm. and what it's doing to your body, uh, biologically right you know mm-hmm. and what it is and then because I I it was starting to hear the stories of like oh I wake up at three in the morning with the panic and whatever I'm like nobody talks about that nobody you know, um no huh? I, yeah I'm reading uh the one of the other ones it's the unexpected joy of being sober yes. and that's yes. Catherine Gray I'm halfway through that and then there was another popular one we are the luckiest yes so and then Christy Cotier. Yes. She's a Seattle person. Yep. Um, so I've read a few and I love that sobriety is something we can talk about because mm-hmm. think about the name Alcoholics Anonymous. Anonymous means don't tell anyone. Right. A, you go into the room, you know, Bob over here would not want his boss to know that you saw him at an AA meeting because it was shame. It was something I failed at drinking. I'm a, I should sit here and say I'm an alcoholic and be ashamed and cower. And but then the people found this fellowship and they could share openly and they found, you know, commonalities and they were living this great life. But it was still kind of a secret community or society, you know, back in yeah. the I think it was from the like this 30s. It's been around mm-hmm. a long mm-hmm. time. Right. Yeah. But now on Instagram, every other day, sober, sober Instagram pages, new to Instagram, new to Instagram. It's. I don't want to say trendy, yeah, but it's becoming to a place where you didn't have to hit bottom. 
you didn't have to lose your, your, you know, your marriage. You didn't have to get a DUI. You didn't lose your kids. You didn't lose your car. You're just realizing that alcohol isn't working for me. Right. Kind of like back in the day with cigarettes, everyone smoked. What's right. Who didn't smoke? Right. But then we realized cigarettes aren't good for us and people quit smoking and now cigarettes are frowned upon. But that took a long time. Yeah. And I think alcohol is kind of coming that same way. It's difficult because it's so much more culturally ingrained than maybe cigarette smoking was. It's like, you know, we've been drinking for ever (laughs) alcohol. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. And now it's just like, and you can have wine with dinner. Right. Yeah. Yep. Social wine. T- yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then the wine turns into a bottle. And then the mommy wine culture is getting a lot of flack. Oh, my God. Where, oh yeah. Well, I hate, I hate that. But yeah, it's, so now people are questioning it. Yeah. Like, Wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I, one, I love the thing you said about I failed at drinking. Like, I thought that was a really cool statement, as if you should have been good at it. Like you, you're, you're failed. good at it. You wouldn't yeah. have to stop. Yeah. Like drinking's here to stay. You're out. Cause you failed at drinking. It's sort of like, is drinking the one I got to, you know, placate. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But also, you know, what I love about these books or the conversation is that it broadens the story spectrum, right? Because mm-hmm. there's lots of people who have um, fallen into the trap of alcohol abuse and maybe they don't have, maybe they're not, I mean, the, the discussion about whether or not you're alcoholic or not, or what that all means. Mm-hmm. But even in just listening to the stories, I think it's enlightening for people to hear all the, the, how you could lead into that, how that could happen. Because I think some people wake up and go, how'd this happen? How did mm-hmm. I get here? Yeah. And, you know, and there's just so many things, right? Like I, you know, I, I've mentioned that starting, all through band years, like I never sought alcohol. I mean, mm-hmm. I give the worst breakup or whatever, but I never went, Oh my God, I got to get to a bar. Mm-hmm. Never didn't even mm-hmm. cross my mind. Um, but I also felt really good about myself and I was doing my thing, which was very authentic to myself. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, hit 38 and it's like a midlife crisis music in, you know, I'm not like selling millions of records and it's sort of like now what a real crisis is going on. And, wine got popular and wine bars. So they curated it in a way that was perfect timing for me. And it's delicious. Alcoholism. Oh yeah. Like someplace for me to go in this depressed state Mm -hmm. that is an instant vacation. So many things played into like why it worked for me or why I started stepping into Mm -hmm. utilization. And at Mm -hmm. some point I was like, and then I, I had my son at 41 Okay. Uh, and you know, you talked about like, uh, eight months pregnant, like I was three months pregnant when I got married, I'd had the, um, test for, um, down syndrome. Okay. And I don't know, obviously I'd never like thought about having a kid, but it was sort of because I was playing shows. I was pregnant. I go get the test. I'm bleeding a lot, like the weekend before we get married. And so, but, oh, and then I get married, you know what I mean? Just sort of like chop, chop, chop. And my husband always, and I joke, we're like, we met in June of 2006. We got engaged in 2007. We were pregnant in 2007. We got married in 2007. Boom, we had a baby. And I was like, oh my God. Um, so, so I think, up, I, you know, I had led a real individual life up until about 41, right? I was not prepared and nobody gave me a book on motherhood and marriage. And it all hit at one time. 
Mm-hmm. Hey, and by the way, you're no longer like this popular musician and you're working a corporate job that's pretty much crushing your soul. Oh my and, gosh. and you got no time and you're, ex- I think this is a story for a lot of women. Like you got mm-hmm. no time, you're exhausted on a level that no one told you about. And the quickest vacation is a bottle of wine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I didn't realize that. I mean, I think I always thought, well, these hangovers are bad. This is not really a good thing. But it was 10 years Mm. or longer till I was like, wow, this is a I'm thinking about wine. I'm Mm -hmm. figuring out where I can go to go get it. It's Mm. it's the only place where I'm because I have become untethered from I'm certainly not handling or taking care of like, how about we go figure out where you are? Like, where's that Carrie who was doing, you know, music Mm -hmm. where have you've lost yourself? Um, Mm -hmm. And I just didn't. And then my mom passed. Mm -hmm. And so it was, you know, life does this. I think it's all very purposeful because we're having this conversation. This will be very purposeful. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyways, long story short, I think there's a lot of stories like this that aren't told to us about that could lead to alcohol abuse. Mm -hmm. Right. And that you start utilizing I mean, if mm-hmm. when you're abusing and you're utilizing, like you're planning, you're accommodating, you're um, pre-planning how you're going to handle the hangover, like that's all you're in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, when you get the bottle yeah. of Gatorade with you at the same time, you're like, I'm going to oh, be hydrated yeah. this time. You're like, <laughs> oh, all strategies. Yeah, yeah, totally. So many strategies. So many strategies. Yeah, I think that that's important to say out loud too. Like, you know all the things that people do from ibuprofen to what is it? The, there's all cut to Xanax to, mm-hmm. you know, CBD to I'm trying to list all mine, like I guess over the <laughs> yeah. years, but even yeah. like Robitussin, Oh, I'll do some Robitussin so I can mm-hmm. go to sleep and sleep through yeah. the three o'clock hour mm-hmm. so that I'm not like, <gasps> you know, anyways. Well, so the, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but the three characteristics of alcoholism, the first one's denial. Everyone knows that. Mm-hmm. Like, you'll deny it. No one ever is usually going to say, yep, sign me up. I want a life of sobriety, you know, unless a consequence happens. So this mm-hmm. revelation is new. So denial and then justification and rationalization. So we justify it. Well, I deserve it. You know, I had a hard day <laughs> at work. I've got I went through this whirlwind. I've got these kids, you know, I. Um, so if you know that about alcoholism, how it sneaks up on you and it's progressive, people would actually say it's a disease. It's an illness. It's progressive. It doesn't stop. So I could Mm -hmm. go back to drinking tomorrow and they would say that I would be right back where I was at 21. Um, so it's tricky and your mind tricks you, you know, so (gasps) we're being sold, you know, the commercials and the advertisements and wine it's, you know, that's why I wrote just recently, I don't walk down liquor store aisles. I don't walk down the wine aisle because even with 23 years sober, I feel like I could see a label that was eye-catching. I'm a label person. Yes. Yes. And go, hmm, that looks good. Hmm, yep. let me stop and peruse, you know, the wine aisle. And this actually did happen to me last week. We were in Colorado and we're in a co-op and I look to the, and it, they had kombucha, hard kombucha. And I love drinking kombucha. That's like my oh. treat once in a while and not the alcoholic one, mm-hmm. but the, this one was hard kombucha. And I was like, mm-hmm. and I stopped for way too long looking at that totally, and yeah. coconut water with alcohol. And I'm thinking, well, that sounds healthy, you know, <laughs> and I'm That's like, so get out of here. Oh. Sounds dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, they, they're smart. 
Mm-hmm. And we can easily be manipulated by advertising and the promise of what, you know, getting out of yourself, um, feeling happy, feeling vivacious, feeling beautiful, feeling skinny, feeling all of those things that we want to feel free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the truth is alcohol is an empty promise, right? It's not going to give us any of those things. But and, you know, I, I don't want to say sobriety is great. It's, you know, you feel great 100% of the time, all the time. But you don't, <laughs> you don't, that mental obsession of, that alcoholics have or that people that drink have where, well, how many have I had? Is it five yet? Can I drink that? Because, oh, did she drink all of, Oh, she left some wine in her glass. Oh, why is she, you know, when's the waitress coming back to feel this? Like, it is a mind scope. Like, it just, it's yeah. so hard to live with those thoughts. Mm-hmm. Do you, you know, at the beginning of this, one of the, um, one of the things you wrote was about triggers. And mm-hmm. I really wanted to ask about that because I think it's unusual. I think people would be surprised and should be very aware of maybe what someone's particular trigger. It's not so obvious. Mm-hmm. Like I will have times where I have something great happen. Um, and the, it triggers a full craving for wine. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to understand what that is. Mm-hmm. Like, is that, oh, I felt the good. And now my brain goes, let's perpetuate the good. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think yeah. so. Yes. But that's, you wouldn't think that would be a trigger moment. It's not like something mm-hmm. rough. Ha- I don't know. I don't know what people think is typical, but like, mm-hmm. it's not like something rough happened or I had an argument and now I want to drown my sorrows. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll show up in places where I have particularly had a great day. And this feels right and good, but there's a blind spot that I still got to be aware of. That's like, don't, it's so, I wish I could describe it. Um, don't go blind and then sidetrack and go get some Cheetos and wine or something. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. what? And uh, it just feels insidious a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I, so similar to the story that I told about being invited to happy hour, a couple of Friday nights ago, two coworkers were saying, Oh, where are you going to go tonight? You know, where are you going out to? And they started talking. And instead of walking away, I stayed glued to that conversation. And I was listening to where they were going to go. And then she said, oh, you know, have you tried the, oh, they have the best, I don't know what it was, raspberry cider. Oh, oh, do you like to get the blah, blah, blah. And my mouth and my glands, I felt like I was salivating. (laughs) Like I craved drinking. And I thought, yeah. Friday night, that was the best feeling, that adrenaline rush. I'm going to go to the bar. I'm going to see people. I'm going to be drinking. I'm going to be dancing. I'm going to be free. You know, I'm going to be drunk. I'm going to be feeling so good. I started feeling that. And I, I, I didn't, I got out of work, you know, yeah. and I came home and I kind of sat in my garage and I um, messaged a friend. I'm like, I'm having drinking thoughts, you know, and I've been sober 23 years and I haven't had a feeling like that where my mouth and my nose and everything was like, wanting alcohol in my in my body so I was obviously triggered by hearing you know two women's conversation about what bar they were going to and what they were going to partake in Mm -hmm. and that shocked me do you think in those moments it's doubly important to remember your um your authentic thing that you love to do like really double down on that like for me, it's like, no, remember, Carrie, you love doing music and podcasting and um, funny projects, you know, like, remember that. Why is that? That feels 
even though those are things, they feel weak. And so I have to double down and be like, no, 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 no. Remember, you do, you love coaching. You're going to build that business. You're going to do all these things that are really fun and interesting, but they don't weigh as heavy as like a good bottle of wine. I'm like, mm-hmm. what the hell is that? <laughs> oh. Yeah, I feel like just telling on yourself, like, you know, with a a safe person that's like, so, you know, I've committed to sobriety, maybe it's just for a month, like I wanted to stay do a dry January, let's say someone because that's a kind of popular thing. Now, Um, I committed to staying sober for 30 days, let's say, and um, this got triggered and something good happened to me and I want to drink wine, you know, have that person you know, whether it's you as a coach or, you know, another friend, I have this, just this one person who actually lives in Tacoma. That's just like my person. Like she's known me for 20 years and I just need to tell myself, like, I just wanted to drink. Um, and usually that would be like your sponsor in AA or someone in the NAA program, but I'm not as connected as I used to be. So Mm -hmm. I feel like just that person that's known me the longest is like my go-to and those thoughts, those other thoughts I tell, I mean, I basically just tell her, well, you know, she's yeah. my one having that one person that you can just vent to and throw up on basically. Um, <laughs> so they can, they can be your cheerleader. And that's probably just like what you do as a coach. It's like that one person that, you, cause I, I wouldn't tell everyone what I'm right. thinking, Yeah, but I need to feel safe enough to tell at least one person. My husband's not the person. Yeah, He is not the person and he doesn't know how to, he doesn't know how to help. In those, he, he does, he just doesn't. And so I've learned, you know, it has to be a, a person that listens mm-hmm. and, you know, isn't trying to fix it, but they're holding space. Right. And they're just there to take it. And usually they don't even have to say anything. Yeah. I feel better just by venting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I got it. You know, I got it out. I feel better. I'm moving on. Yeah. And you're right. It does matter who the, like who the person is, like what, you know, they can understand or hold space the mm-hmm. way you need it. Cause like my husband loves me, but you know, he's like, well, just stop drinking. You know yeah. what I mean? And th- th- for him, that's really true. But I was like, Oh, that's yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> yeah. You want to okay, help. You're not going to help me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, a funny story about my husband. I, I would be like, okay, I want to share this article where you read it first and, and look at it. And he was the most critical person of my writing. And he would, well, this doesn't make sense and this and this and this. And I had to stop going to him because mm-hmm. he loves me. He supports me. Now he's like, great job. I'm proud of you. He'll leave comments every once in a while just to, so I know he's there. But he's not a, probably who I'm, he's not my audience. He's right. not who I'm writing to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He doesn't get it. He thinks it's way too much to be putting out into the world. Um, he doesn't always like the way I talk, speak in my writing, you know, because he oh, reads yeah. different genres of books so instead of taking it personally which I did at first and was I was thinking I kind of did the I'll show you like it was I kind of put a spin on it and was like you know I have this one person supporting me and I'm just gonna listen to her and I'm just gonna keep going and let her be my cheerleader and and I appreciate your constructive criticism but I'm way too sensitive to take it and this is Uh such a huge step for me putting myself out there I just I really need someone that's just positive and supportive and lie to me if you want to. No, I, I expect people <laughs> to tell me the truth, but really just incur. I need an encourager. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm this big and I need someone to see me as, you know, larger, you know. And that's fair. Um, ask, knowing what you need, that's huge. And then asking mm-hmm. for it or stating yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, that's really big. 
Yeah. It's such a vulnerable position to be in, don't you think, to put yourself out there, even as a coach or even as a musician or as an author, podcaster, like, you know, those questions probably pop up, like, who am I to do this or who will listen or who will, you know, come to me and what do I have to offer? And so just not selling ourselves short and realizing what you said, like, we are worth it. We do have value. Um, seriously, because I really believe that like one, it's a communal effort here on planet mm-hmm. earth. Um, and we need to hear other people's stories mm-hmm. because isolated alone, you know, you just got your story or you talking in your head. Right. And that doesn't really work. Um, but that everyone, again, everyone's here for a purpose. Like it, mm-hmm. it's what's supposed to happen. Like, this is the truth. This is how things should be. And everyone's on their own little road um, doing their work, you know, whatever they're called to do. And, and that's all right. It doesn't even have to be this grandiose thing of like, I'm writing music or I'm, you know what I mean? Cause then mm-hmm. it gets to be, um, I don't think then it becomes like, oh, you're a special person and you do a special thing. And it's like, no, 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 no. Everybody's got some, even mm-hmm. if it's your you're great in your family and you raise great kids. Everything mm-hmm. has a ripple effect, mm-hmm. um, whatever, but whatever that is authentically for someone and only that person mm-hmm. can answer. It. And I'd say Brene Brown is like such a good person for that. And, you know, any of her books inspire me to just yes. be more vulnerable, vulnerable and to realize that we all have shame. Mm-hmm. You know, we all have something inside of us that tells us, you know, we're not good enough and to figure what that is out yes. And release it Mm -hmm. because we don't, we shouldn't have to carry that around. It's not the truth. It's just something that we learned as a child or was told to us, or we told ourselves and it doesn't serve us. Yeah. It doesn't serve us. And do you, I sort of look at too, um, I guess I get kind of extreme too. I'm like, if you have this one life, like, don't you want to get to whatever your authentic Mm -hmm. center is and follow that path? I think COVID really lit a fire because I had time and then it was like people are dying and it's like Mm -hmm. okay well if I want to do this I need to do it now Mm -hmm. and that's unfortunate that COVID had to come and and make all of us you know really but there is such a benefit to it like Mm -hmm. it came and so many people will say I don't want things to go back to normal I like how things slow down and I already feel that things are going back to normal. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. feel that my adrenal glands and the anxiety and like, oh gosh, I really liked that slower pace Mm -hmm. of life last March and April and you know, May and June. It was like, we couldn't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And there was like peace and solace in that because we go and go and go and go. It was a lovely forced break for everyone. And then we're all at the state park. Yeah. We're all at the state parks. <laughs> I look like a cross country skiing. Like mm-hmm. I'm like living a great life yeah. because I had because I was forced to. Yeah, and then I start riding. Like so much more now, and I appreciate that. Yeah. It's like, but part of me also it's is so annoyed because cool. I'm like, there's so many people at the park. <laughs> I know it's so weird. We checked out every state park, you know. But just and I feel like there's some com- camaraderie in that that we were all kind of you know forced to do that together. But don't you miss hugs and handshakes yeah. and yeah. not being masked? And so there's a lot that I hope will go back to normal as far as that. Like I would love to hug someone or yeah. just even shake someone's hand. And you don't think that you don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
And I had my mask off at work yesterday and someone's like, you look so weird, like different. Like I haven't <laughs> seen you. So I don't like that at all. You mm-hmm. know, I, our smiles and our voice and our, it's like so muffled and so I just I hope that can go back to normal soon. For sure. Yeah, I'm I miss like writing and recording and playing shows, being able to get together with a band, like and definitely shows in turn in terms mm-hmm. of like self expression. Um mm-hmm. and for the folks coming to shows, right? Like that's such a huge heart thing. Um mm-hmm. But I feel like, you know, like what you're saying, for some people, there's a large populace where this really was an opportunity that probably had been needed for a long time. Mm-hmm. If you go really metaphysical, people were like, oh, no, this is a purposeful, like, ascension moment of, like, you either stop and sort your shit out mm-hmm. or, or, yes. or you don't. Um, yeah, but I, I, I was one of those people. I was like, oh, how, um, I, I don't have to commute. I can be at home. I, I needed space to solidify like what are you going to do and but also and a lot of the um things i share is about regardless of where we return to like just living at a slower pace allows for space and you know in order to feel yourself again hear listen notice and which is all required in order to make authentic decisions for yourself to to get on your path right or whatever that is you can't do that when you're go 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 or commuting three hours a day you know you're just numb yep. totally totally and just going for walks more outside and i you know doing more yoga and just just coming to a quiet place within really which is the yeah. root of what we're trying to do but i was i was definitely pulled too many directions and and again, like I said, I feel like I'm being pulled again. So I now have to make the effort to say, wait a minute, yeah. wait a yeah. minute. Got to keep everybody else to stay slow down. It's like, gotta yeah, keep, it'll be an effort, but we got to kind of remind yeah. everyone. Like, Absolutely. A good this. Yeah, Absolutely. I think the only bastion currently, I don't know if you guys feel the same way as I still have to watch my participation in social media. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's there's the sharing and some creative things, which I like. That's great. Uh, but there's still the pitfall of scrolling and then kind of getting hooked into whatever conversations are going on out there, which to me, take me to a smaller place. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of the things people are talking about, I'm, I'm glad they're talking about. But what I you can go to a small place in your mind and then find yourself ruminating and be like, what? oh, my God, why are you living <laughs> over here? You got things to do. And remember, your vision was much bigger than being pissed about this thing over here. <laughs> like, <laughs> Don't you find um, I have had a hard time finishing a book since COVID. Like I buy books all the time, <laughs> but scrolling is so much easier. It and really it's like is, almost yeah. all my brain can handle, but Thank I also you. get lost in it. And my, it's a habit and my thumb just go, you know, keeps oh my God. you're not alone in that. Like I actually haven't read a single <laughs> book during COVID. I have a stack. <laughs> yeah. And oh my I God. haven't finished one, yeah. but it's like self-help and you know, yeah. I have like think like a monk and all these books oh, to yeah. inspire myself. Um, but I just haven't I haven't been able to go deep in that aspect. And mm-hmm. and I haven't been able to take in more of what other people are saying. It's just like my brain feels heavy and, you know, my thoughts are busy. And so it's hard to read what other people are saying for me right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, except in little bits. Like I'll read a couple pages. I want something funny and lighthearted and. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and that's what I need to look for. 
I'm looking for babies and animals. Kittens. The dodo. I'll watch the dodo and a baby laughing any day. Like, I mean, I can't yeah. even make it that. through a whole movie sometimes. I'm like, oh, it's an hour and a half. It's too much. Like, yeah. Give me that TikTok. Yeah. We're yeah. kind of just at our threshold probably. Yeah. For well, and you got to really, I think, watch it with like, again, you've got so much time in a day. What do you how are you utilizing your time, which then affects like what you're doing, what you're doing with your life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, um, yeah, I wish I could turn my camera around and be like the stacks of books or whatever. It's, it's mm-hmm. a, you have to like retrain yourself mm-hmm. because the rest creates such short attention span and there's so much content. That's the other thing. Mm-hmm. We're bombarded by content oh every God. day. Yeah, you'll never get through it all. And it's, oh, no. um, yeah. have you watched that movie, the, Social about Dilemma. the, thank you. Yeah, Social I, Dilemma. I haven't, I don't oh, have Netflix, my God. so I haven't watched it. Oh but, my God. And I'm kind of scared to watch it because <laughs> I'm so guilty. Well, I'm it's, so guilty. it's interesting to watch. You'll be like, I mean, if you watch it, you then you go back to like your, how you function on social media. You'll, you'll be like, oh, that's, oh, I'm getting fed that. You know what I mean? Like, oh. oh. You know. So now for you, because, you, you know, you have a presence on Instagram or Facebook for coaching. So some of it's work. And for mm-hmm. me, I'm sharing a lot of my articles and I'm reading other articles and building community in the writing, you know, atmosphere. So I attribute, well, this these are technically work hours. Yeah. But, and I enjoy it so much. Yeah. But then, you know, hours yeah. other than that, or I'm getting lost. I'm definitely getting lost. I always have to measure I will check in with myself and I always have to measure my participation with my gut. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If, if, if my gut says, yes, I feel like being creative, I'm going to do a weird reel. Yes. Okay. Yes to that. If I actually want to share something. So I'm really checking my truth. Mm-hmm. If I really, if my gut says like, yeah, I really want to make this statement then yes. Mm-hmm. But if I think I just have to fill up a post in order to be on social media, to be seen, I'm like, that's not true. And you're going to drain the shit out of yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can That's feel that in your gut. I constantly okay. doing gut checks, constant because you have all the that. answers. Yeah, I'd be like, I love do that. you really give a shit about that? Like, no, no, well, I don't myself, do it. Does anyone really want to see this plate of my vegan food? No, <laughs> the answer is always no. Nobody does, but I still share but, it. I mean, but it's long, this what really looks yeah. good. I might want to see. Yeah, it, so, yeah. So, but you if, know, if one person gives me a heart or a like, you know, and that's what I have to ask myself, like. Am I lonely? Am I feeling, you know, a lack? Like, am I just wanting how many, am I checking? Like, how many likes did I get? How many hearts did I get on that article? Ooh, that article's not doing very well. Mm-hmm. I got to, you know, and I'm starting to get kind of um, neurotic or competitive mm-hmm. with myself and it's not fun anymore. It's like, yeah, oh, but getting a connection is what I'm craving. So yeah. when someone likes it and they comment, then I feel like, yay, we've opened a door and then I get to talk back with them right. and there's dialogue and we're connecting, heart connecting. And I do live for that. Yeah. Time. It is. And, but those moments are like, oh, this is actually really something. I just want mm-hmm. things to be something like a re- yes. really something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and it sounds like, like, you know, your gut, like everything you just said there, that's your gut and your gut's going like, mm, what are we doing here? Like, okay. And then you got to just, yeah like be honest about it. And some of that, like, especially when you're doing a project or a business online, you can get really caught up in like, 
I have to do this and doing this will actually get me results, which is not true. And then you end up going, well, wow, what a farce. Like Mm -hmm. there's no, there's, there's nothing worse than that kind of joke on yourself. Like you burnt the crap out of yourself and you're, you know, like at the same place you were, or it it didn't matter at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't want that. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want that so bad that I'll be like, F it. (laughs) And I don't want, I ever, I never want to portray myself as like, because uh, I do feel jealous of people on social media sure. when they're in Hawaii yeah. or the Bahamas or something. And, and I, you know, if I want people to be able to share their trips and their good things happening in their life. But I don't want to be the person that's like bragging. My husband calls it brag book, you know, where it's like, look at me, look at me, look at me. And so it's like, what is my intention? Yeah. You know, what do I want to gain from this? Am I just sharing, you know, a good thing that's happened to me because I'm happy and I'm celebrating or do I want people to like it? Do I want people to see how good I'm doing? And that's the, it's tricky. It's like a fine line. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that answer and you do know the answer. Mm -hmm. If you're Mm -hmm. honest about it, if you check your gut, I'm like, you got that answer. Mm -hmm. And then you just got to follow that big deal. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I say big deal, but so that I make it not a big deal, but you know, yay, at least there's a compass, right? Like I I do have a compass. I do know it's real. Thank goodness. Right. Like, yeah, we need to check in with ourselves more. Don't you think? Oh my gosh. Checking in with the gallery that don't (laughs) care. Never. Yeah. Never. We don't have our invested interest. Mm -mm. Well, I say to people coaching all the time, I was just like, look, you're responsible for you because I will guarantee when it comes down to it, a large portion of this audience is not going to be there for you when you need them. And not, not cause I'm cynical, but I was like, I, I just say often, I'm like, you have all the answers on the inside mm-hmm. and you are responsible for you. You are the compass period. Mm-hmm. Like you can have mm-hmm. wonderful friends who are smart, who contribute. And that is helpful. I'm not saying isolate, mm-hmm. but, but I think there's a, it's imperative to like really get to know yourself that way and understand that so that you can make decisions and navigate and build things and love your life. Mm -hmm. Um, And yay, that actually your gut's there and just waiting for you to hear it. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. well, maybe one day she'll notice we're down here and she'll listen to us. You know what I mean? And then I think that's also how you get on the right track because And then great things can happen, but it's a different kind of game, right? It's a long Mm -hmm. game and our society doesn't do that. Mm -hmm. Do you ever watch Tabitha Brown? No. Who's that? Okay. So she's a vegan person that's on Instagram and she makes these videos and people have said like, no, you have your accents from North Carolina. You have this big Afro, like you, you need to tone it down. And she's so authentic. She, and she, makes these recipes and she talks and she's, I just love her. Right. And when she kind of made a message about, you know, no, this is me. I'm not toning it down for anybody. It took me way too long to get to this place where I am letting my hair out. I'm not hiding my accent. You know, I'm not changing yep. for who you want me to be. I'm myself. And then she's going, she's getting like movie deals and she, she's come from like nothing to like huge select, like, yeah. Once you see her, you may have like, she's on magazine. Like she's come far in the last few years. I'll go find her. Um, but yeah, just be who you are. That's the, that's yeah. the premise, right? Yeah. I mean, people just get, we get desperate, right? Like all the things we've talked about today, belonging, being loved. And people, I think, take the short route, mm-hmm. right? That's like, oh, I just have all the things and I wear all that. And I look, I look this certain way, then I'll have it. And then they, 
no, you don't. You won't have it. Yeah. Yeah. That was me wearing the clothes and, you know, have the right bag and have the right car. And, and I saw a picture of myself in my memories this morning and it was probably five or six years ago. And we lived in Redmond, which is a more affluent area. Mm -hmm. We were barely scraping by. We had a bankruptcy, you know, so much debt. And here is the Amazon and Microsoft and the doctors and the dentists. And I'm teaching at this private school. And I tried, I tried to be like those moms, you know, Mm -hmm. but I, I, my background was so much different, yeah. uh, obviously. I was, you know, in recovery, but I never shared that with any of those moms. They never got to know the real me. And I saw a picture where we were all together. And I just remember how insecure I felt and how different I felt and how I tried to, you know, have conversations that made me sound more intellectual or, right. you know, like I had gone to college out of high school, which I hadn't. And, you know, now I would just show up. You know, I wouldn't try to be something different. I wouldn't try right. to impress the lady that was a doctor that who didn't care. You know, it wouldn't have mattered to her what car I drove, right. you know. But to me, it was like, I need to have what they will admire in me. Right. And that was only external. It was only external because I was so, I still didn't know how to feel myself internally. Right. I didn't, I had no idea. That's so, huge. Lots of searching, lots of searching. But seeing that picture was like, wow, you've come into yourself, you know? Yeah. And it took a long time. I feel like, you know, almost 45, but it could have taken my whole, you know, it could have taken till yeah. I was 80. So I still have a lot of life to live. That's huge. Living outside of yourself, like looking mm-hmm. for answers externally as opposed to internally. That's a, that's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever feel like, again, loneliness is a big thing too. And loneliness, I think comes in a lot of different forms. Like when you're talking to, you know, in Minnesota, mm-hmm. uh, you, when you're lonely, you're like, Oh, maybe I'll go create a community or, Oh, I can find community here at work or all of that. It gets harder when you're sort of like, yeah, I'm not, if I was really honest, like, yeah, there's a structure here, but I don't think I care about any of it. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Or these people are lovely, but they're not my people. Now what? We're talking about that vibe. Like, you know, yeah. I'm looking for people that I vibe with and I'm not finding it here where I, yeah. where I like, there's a couple people that I would consider a little more than acquaintances, like yeah. friends, you know? Um, but my husband always says, cause he's lived in a lot of places that it takes five years to, to make friends in a new state. Totally. Mm-hmm. Especially so Minnesota. Holy three, We're on year three. And so I'm, I'm, you know, but I think I'm getting there. It's like yeah. the more authentic I am and the more honest I am. And, you know, sharing my articles on Facebook is like, if someone doesn't like where I came from, they're going to know it's all out yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's been really freeing for me. Like, I don't have to be a secret anymore. Good. Um, most people, because of the articles, if they've read, you know, whatever's on my Facebook or Instagram, then they know who I am up front. It's, it's out there. So yeah. I, that's freeing for me. Finally, yeah. like. It's kind of out here, so I don't have to like say it because it's a lot to say. Well, my parents died. I was an alcoholic. You know, all of the poor me kind of stuff that I I carried around. It's not a poor me story anymore. Right. You know, my hope is that it's like inspiring and redemption and all the good things that have come out of that darkness. You know, and that's my goal is to like spread some light and yeah. and hope and inspire. But it had to come from. Yeah. All that, all that icky stuff. So 
Yeah, it's not but a I poor. Don't live there anymore. Yeah, it's not a poor you story. It's a you story, and it's a powerful yeah. story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. So for yeah. years, I just shared like my kind of my 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 share was well, you know, kind <gasps> of a door kind of story. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> Sorry so, to tell you. <laughs> yeah, so I didn't know how to get to the other side of that until that awakening happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's well, the I'm only really... thing I can say is just all the way go all the way through. You know, yes. you can't go around the pain. You have to go through it. You have to trudge and it's mucky and it's dark and it's scary and, you know, but you literally have to just trudge to Amen. get to the other side. Men. Yep. Yes. Exactly. That's, that, that was some truth. That is the truth. Melissa, <laughs> 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 well, I'm really excited for you. I'm really excited about your book. I will get your book. You should do a pre-order. I will for pre-order sure. right now. Mm-hmm. And I really want to stay in contact. Absolutely. That's no joke. That's no joke, sister. (laughs) Um, Having lived in Minnesota, I was just like, oh, yeah, all right. (laughs) You get it. You get it. And coming from Seattle to Minnesota is culture shock. Yes. Yes. And not Uh, the city of Minneapolis, but like you're coming from a city and then you're moving into like a suburb. It's it's a different culture for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And starting over where you have to make friends is sometimes something you don't even think about. Like, oh, I'm, oh, I didn't realize I'd be in a situation where I got to go make friends, which takes real good friends. The ones that fit takes a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it takes time. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank this you for sharing awesome. your story with us. Mm-hmm. Thank wonderful. you guys for asking me. It was, it was awesome. I was looking forward to it. <laughs>